IP. 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 Welcome to IP series, home to all things IP related, where I give you the stories, tips, and implications to business and creative decision concerning your intangible assets with real life case study. I am your host, Rita Henry Chinda. Subscribe and turn on your notification so you don't miss an episode. Cheers, guys. So, first of all, I'd like to say apologies to all my friends who may have missed um, the podcast so far. I've not been feeling too well. and But yeah. I am much better. I'm back with episode 104 and I have a special guest for us today all the way from Uganda. So Mr. Anthony was gracious enough to reach out to me after someone had shared a post about what was going on in the Ugandan IP community regarding musicians and I was like, ooh, I'd like to delve into this but not do it myself. So when Mr. Anthony agreed to do it, I was really pleased. So if you're creative an inventor you have a business in uganda or you're looking to you know bring your business to africa then this episode is for you trust me even listening to me hearing him talk about what he's done so far i was starstruck i was like this is as this is me but then yeah let's hear what mr anthony has to say when it comes to ip in uganda Welcome today, and Anthony, can you tell us what you do, where you're based, mm-hmm. and you know, we kick up the conversation from there. Let's meet you. All right. Thank you very much. And it's an honor and pleasure to be on the podcast. Uh, I've been following it for quite a while, being part of the WhatsApp group of African Network. Um, about myself, I'm a lawyer by profession, a Ugandan lawyer trained my under that undergraduate degree of law was done in Uganda back in to mid 90s actually. Then I did my master's specializing in intellectual property law in the University of Warwick in the UK. That was in 2003 2004. Wow. I started and practicing intellectual property. I started about that time. So I've been teaching intellectual property for the past 23 years, 20, 22 years. As well as so, so what got me into having one leg in practice and one leg in academia is just shy of one year, just about one year after finishing my master's, uh, someone contacted me asking about how they could go about um, registering their IP. I think it was a trademark they wanted to register at the time. The Ugandan laws were very shaky quite broad and with so many loopholes and i didn't have a straight answer so i felt embarrassed that i was teaching the course leave alone the fact that i just taught it for one year but i didn't know the practical side of it and that's when i decided that i needed to be involved in the practice of intellectual property and not just the teaching so that's how i you know, started shaping out my direction. Then in uh, 2011, I went to the US and started on my doctorate, again in intellectual property. I yeah. I did, uh, my thesis was the intersection between traditional culture expressions and copyright. So I completed that in 2014, returned to Uganda and continued with um, academia. I was the dean of law school here at the Uganda Christian University. 
has continued with consultancies and all that. So currently a partner in a law firm called Bencha Kihikan Company Advocates, where I run the intellectual property department, but I continue to teach intellectual property locally in uh, Uganda Christian University, as well as the, the large Makere University, the oldest university in Uganda. But when I did my doctorate at the University of Illinois in the US, they retained me as a visiting professor. So I'm there every October teaching a short course on uh, traditional cultural expressions and traditional knowledge in IP. I've also taught the same at Cornell Law School in New York, um, Masaryk University in the Republic, and also I'll be starting to teach the same short course in Shandong uh, University in China. So that's a, a bit uh, side of me in terms of academia and practice. But I oh, also part time law reform commissioner in the Uganda oh, Law Reform Commission, which handles the updating the Ugandan laws. So I'm overseeing the reform of our copyright law currently as a commissioner. Oh, that is really like, okay, let me say that. It's an honor to have you on my podcast. Like your profile yeah. is is like everything I, I want to do all at the same time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your role as an academic or an, right. um, someone in the academic and also as an IP practitioner. Because for me, I'm also an IP practitioner. I'm mm. also, I consider myself to be a creative entrepreneur. I own a podcast and a blog as well. And I also recently started teaching in Nigeria, um, in River State, which is where I'm based. So what has the IP practice been like for you, combining lecturing and also practicing? Has it mm -hmm. helped your your career? I mean, your CV is, is I mean, I would say I'm starstruck, but let's just <laughs> have the conversation and then we'll delve into what copyright basically is in Uganda. Right. Okay, thanks a lot. So, like I said, I was prompted by someone nudging me to explain the practical side of the law. And I have, have to say that I've never regretted combining the two. It yeah. makes me love this area so much the better because when, when I'm handling my files in the office, I do more transaction IP, um, corporate licensing. Okay. I do patent registrations as well, uh, trademarks. But... Um, once in a while, I handle a litigation matter, be it a trademark opposition matter or trademark cancellation matter that needs me to robe up and go to the courtroom. I'm also currently handling a trade secret litigation, one of the big ones in the country. So oh my when God. students' questions and probing, you know, give me light bulb moments that make me think, okay, I need to think about that. I need to think about this and the other that take me back into the research that I'm doing and open up new mindsets to the practical side. But then also to my students, I bring in my experiences. I may be talking about uh, a copyright issue that I tell them that, oh, just like the other case I handled, we discussed it in such and such a way. And you see their eyes you know, widening because they're getting it from, if I should use the term, the horse's mouth. I'm just explaining something related to a case that they have on their reading list. And um, it's not only a leading case that they're studying, but I've been involved in this in um, arguing that case in the courtroom. So mm -hmm. I, I get to see that the students are enjoying themselves and I'm also enjoying it in the process. 
And it's not only them that are learning. I'm also learning out of it. And it makes me a better practitioner, but also at the same time, a better academician. And one of the beauties about IP, there's always something new every year. True. Now we took a non-fungible tokens and um, how to argue IP in non-fungible tokens. We're talking about artificial intelligence and IP. These are things that were not there two, three, four years ago. So we mm. all learn in the process and it keeps drawing me back to more research so that I can explain things better to the students. But it also helps me to become a sharper IP lawyer, both in the practice as well as the academia. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I can really relate when you talked about giving students um, live cases and, you know, giving them yes. also the practical tips on how to maneuver the system when they get into the legal market. Now, what is the copyright uh, or the IP um, practice, not practice per se, but then when you're interacting with creatives or inventors or business owners or corporate organizations in Uganda, how do they perceive intellectual property in any of the IP mechanism? Right. Now, that is the sad story. It, people are totally green about this. I mean, every place they call the, the elephant in the room is about awareness, lack of awareness or insufficient awareness about IP. It's like you're the only person in the room that understands Mandarin and you're just supposed to communicate in Mandarin to people and help them understand Chinese concepts. It becomes difficult communicating with you that can speak the same language. In any case, that's part of the reason why I'm also passionate to continue with the academic side of it. So the, the general landscape in Uganda is just that. The business people are not aware about it. However successful they are, we tell them that, or I try to tell them that the better language that we can speak is for them to understand dollars and not pennies. So to mm. drive the point home that they're making pennies, whereas they could actually be making dollars. So they would be excited and talk about all their brands and how someone is able to identify their brand and buy from them. But they will not be able to appreciate that their brand is actually a trademark and it can be protected as such. And they can go beyond the money they're making and start looking at franchises and you know such licensing, things of that nature. So they don't understand that side of their businesses. They only understand it as far as the fact that they have a certain product that they're marketing and they've uh, attached a logo to that product and that's what they use to identify the product, but they've not, they've not gone as far as trademarking that logo. So, so that's, the, you know, that's the general language I'm trying to bring across to the business persons and then to the musicians, and, yeah. and that's what you know, has brought us together. They keep saying that, oh, the law is not helping them, the law is weak, but it's not, I mean, it's not that if we make the law perfect, they're going to enjoy their music much better. Mm -hmm. They appreciate mm -hmm. how they can utilize the copyright and see how they fix that within the law and then see how the law can take them to the next level. So that we've been on this journey with the various stakeholders for a very long time. The Corporate and Neighboring Rights Act of Uganda was the first one to be um, remodeled. And that was in 2006. 
Then in um, 2009, we had the Trade Secrets Act. Uh, we, we're the only country, I would dare say, within um, Central and Eastern Africa. Africa. Like, in yeah. fact, the whole Africa, we're the only country that has a Trade Secrets Protection Act. Then in 2014, we had the, the broad you know, legislations coming in to replace the old colonial ones. We had the Industrial Properties Act of 2014. We had the Geographical Indications Act. All this came in around that time, and even the Plant Variety Protection Act. But they have not mm. been sufficiently utilized by the industry stakeholders or the players that should be utilizing them, the innovators and the like. So we're always taking this message to them that, okay, you are innovators, you, you have industrial designs, but have you proceeded to actually get the industrial design protection? Or have you proceeded to get a patent? And you know, that's the mountain that we're trying to climb with different individuals. Some of them appreciate it. Others, you know, just bury their heads in the sand and say that, oh, this is too technical for us. Or it's too complicated. So they miss out and continue making pennies instead of the dollars that they should be making. Yeah. Very, very, very sad. Very sad. But then, uh, you know, just like you stated in your conversation, it's the musician story that brought us together. So can you throw more light on that particular book? Because when I saw it on the African IP group and it said Uganda, and I was like, okay, I need to speak to a Uganda IP. I mean, I normally review conversations or trends, cases, just give it like an African Bible. I just want to hear from the horse's mouth. What is it really like? I mean, Nigeria just passed, uh, I mean, that's after how much? more than 15 years we, we recently right. go our copyright act updated and it's very detailed it's kind of like mm -hmm. when you said it's, it's not about the law being improved does it be it does the law being improved um, mean that you're to start making dollars and not pennies at the end of the day so where is that conversation or perception coming from i mean in uganda that artists feel like the law is what will give them the backing to make mm -hmm. dollars Pennies. Right. Okay. So, like I said, um, we came up with the Copyright and Neighboring Rights Act in 2006. And mm. around the time, Uganda was mainly, okay, it was just coming out of having a total appreciation of uh, Congolese music. Congolese music was the in thing in Uganda in the 80s up to the 90s. And then in, in the early 2000s, we started breaking out by listening to more of Ugandan music. So the, that's the time we had, I don't know if you know these people, musicians like Chameleon, Baby Cool, Bobby Wine, uh, Silver Chagline. I know Bobby Wine. Right. <laughs> okay. So those are the people <laughs> that came up. And now other people started appreciating Ugandan music, but the side of the law was not so much something that they would run to. So the, the awareness thing was back then much bigger than it is even now. So the yeah. few that understood the business side of copyright, we had a businessman that ran a company that he called Kira. I hope I get the name right. It was Kasikira Studios or something like that. So he would buy off the music of these musicians, pay them pennies, and then oh market the music and dollars. <laughs> that that ah. sort of thing. And that's the kind of practice that continued on and on that we've had pretty much for the past 15 or so years. So more and more people in the music industry started realizing that, wait a minute, I should be making more money than I'm making now. 
because the players who understood how to commercialize the copyright in the music were the ones making more money. And this included the telecom companies that would buy off the music from middle parties and then use them as coloring back tunes. You had the, the radio stations that would play this music, the bars and all these other places where the music was played, but the action musicians were still making pennies. And yet the law had stipulations about uh, having a collecting society for the different categories of copyright and using the collecting society or collective management organization to, to collect royalties on behalf of the members and pay off the members sufficiently and also be accountable to them as well as to the National IP Office, which is Uganda Registration Services Bureau. So because of people not being aware or musicians not being aware how to demand for their rights under the law, but only seeing the fact that they would perform, they would sweat it out and come up with all sorts of creativity, but not get as much as they expect, they started up coming up in arms and saying that the law is not helping them, whereas it wasn't really about the law. The law so yes, yeah. I, would, I would say that the law needs strengthening. The law doesn't uh, have stipulations on sufficient remuneration or equitable remuneration and would probably need to factor something of that nature within it as the, the new Nigerian law does. Uh, the Ugandan 2006 law also does not cover issues like private copy levy. So now the musicians are saying we should have a private copy levy where every single gadget that can be used to copy music works and is important into the country at the port of call, as soon as such a gadget is brought into the country, a person should pay a tax, which goes to the musicians. So that's where the private copy levy comes in, and they're advocating for that. They're also yeah. saying that, similar to what you have in the Nigerian new copyright law, a yeah. copyright commission, we should have a separate government authority or quasi-body that oversees specifically copyright issues. We do not currently have that in the law. We just have Register of Copyright. And in practice, the Register of Copyright falls under the National IP Office, which is the Uganda Registration Services Bureau. So what they're advocating for is that, no, we should have a totally separate copyright office, just as Kenya has the Kenya Copyright Board, Jacobo, yeah. which oversees um, matters of administration and enforcement of copyright, that we should have one specific in Uganda on such matters. And this is where they have been advocating for change within the law. And we hear them. You know, when I put on my hat as a commissioner of the Ghana Law Reform Commission, although, like I said, I don't want to be quoted as a government spokesperson, I would Never. say that when we started the process of reviewing the law, we were prompted by a musician who is now a member of parliament. So when he got onto parliament, he, he came up with a private member's bill that was advocating for all these changes that I've spoken about. One that provides for the private copy levy, it provides for um, separation of powers from the Uganda Registration Services Bureau to a separate entity and fair, actually they were not talking about fair remuneration for musicians, they were saying that the law should have a direct stipulation of 50% or 51% of royalties should go to musicians from what telecom companies make out of coloring back tunes. 
So we've been discussing on all these issues and looking at how other countries have legislated upon this so that you can come up with a, a fair position. But because the process has taken much longer than we anticipated, we thought that by July we'd have the amendment of, of the corporate law coming out. Unfortunately, it hasn't come out by, because by now, by end of June, we should be seeing the bill, but it hasn't. the process has stalled. So musicians are up in arms again and saying, no, there's something wrong happening. Why aren't we having the new law in place? And why is this happening like this? And that's the whole noise that's being made everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that Uganda musicians are actually um, teaming up to make sure that the things are done rightly. I'm also impressed to hear that the musician is also in the parliament and also pushing the conversation. So from what I can get from this is we'll need more creatives, especially um, artists or musicians to engage the government, not just directly, but also be part of the decision-making board. Or looking at um, commercialization and what um, that man has been doing in Uganda, what role can the can the government interfere in this instance where it's like okay you can't keep signing people and and taking all their their rights because you know copyright comes with a bundle of exclusive rights that can be assigned or licensed so are they actually giving or selling all their bundle of rights or parts of the right i mean that's that's the conversation that needs to be had now what was what was actually agreed upon is it all rights or partial rights and can the government just step in to say this is a directive that I want to take going forward before the law will be passed or will the Uganda IPO um, you know put out a circular to you know engage creatives who are currently protesting against this now in Uganda okay so um, the IP office has had a number of stakeholder engagements. I, I will give them some slack. The Uganda Registering Services Bureau has tried to, to come up with ways of listening to the musicians and addressing their concerns, but it, it can only go so far. For instance, one of their major demands is for a separate institution that handles only copyright to be totally autonomous from the National IP Office or if it's to fall under the IP office, so it can be identified as a separate department. Because right now what we have is the Directorate of Intellectual Property, which is under the Uganda Registration Services Bureau. Now, URSB looks at the financial implications as well as the fact that currently government is in the process of merging many um, ministries, departments, and agencies that were cut out and made separate, and that caused a lot of uh, tax burdens on people that we're funding so many entities that are either replicating their work or some are redundant. So the government is not really interested now in creating an entirely new authority. And that becomes a hindrance from the government in responding to the demands of the musicians in that regard. On the other hand, the musicians say that even though USB is supposed to be supervising or overseeing the collective management organizations or the collective societies, it hasn't done sufficiently to the level of what they would have expected. Because if a collective society is supposed to account for its members and it's not accounting, 
the URSB or the National IP Office is supposed to calm down, close it down and say, okay, because you haven't done your role, we're shutting you down and we're just going to reconstitute another. So the musicians say, URSB, that's the National IP Office, has not done this. It hasn't put its foot down and demanded for more out of the collective management organizations. So the specific CMO, which oversees the music industry, is called Uganda Performing Rights Society, UPRS. And about four years ago, I should say about three or four years ago, URSB closed down UPRS for those same reasons, that it wasn't managing its members sufficiently or accounting for the funds, and it decided to reconstitute it. But the process involved in reconstitution, um, the members, which are the musicians, say were not sufficiently consulted, only some of them were consulted. Uh, you used uh, a phrase, you say that musicians, you're happy that it's interesting to see that musicians are teaming up. They're not really teaming up. That's part of the problem, that they've created factions amongst themselves. You have oh, the my God. You have Uganda Musicians Association, and now they created another one called, is it Uganda Musicians Something Association? You know, they keep creating divisions, and if they cannot team up as one, we're going to continue seeing the problems that they're facing. Because some of those have been um, in a position where they agree as to what course they should take, and another faction, this another faction decides to take another direction. You know, it's chaotic at the moment because of the fact that they're not unified amongst themselves as musicians. Yeah. Wow. I I I, I mean, I think I really had a, a total mindset when I went, like you said, when I talked about teaming up, I mean. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so, so other than uh, the musicians, are there other um, IP owners that have issues with the IP system or it's just the, the musicians' disputes or um, displeasure that is more prominent within the Ugandan IP space? Now, the, the, it's not just the musicians. They, there's a body called Uganda, um, what is it, National, oh, sorry, I'm just really forgetting the phrase. So there's a body that brings together musicians, comedians, and uh, film producers, and the like. It's a large body. So that has been the focal point of the grievances that they're raising. The, we currently have three collective management organizations that try to you know, um, act as umbrella bodies for the different creative works stakeholders. So we have, like I mentioned, the Uganda Performing Rights Society, which mm -hmm. is supposed to manage audiovisual works. Then we have Uganda Federation of Movie Industries, UFMI, which is supposed to see those involved in the movie industry. It's also been chaotic. The members or is fighting with the collective society. They actually took it to court about three years ago. And the outcome of the decision also left more confusion than before the case was filed because they, they have different perspectives as to what the judgment stipulates. Some of them say that the judgment was to the effect that they should disband UFMI, that URSB should disband UFMI and reconstitute another body to oversee the movie industry. Whereas others say that no, the judgment was more in the direction of them holding a fresh election and continuing with business as usual. 
So that has hit a stalemate. We don't know now if UFMI is still existing as a legal entity or whether by virtue of the court judgment it was disbanded. Then the third one that we have is the Uganda Reproduction Rights Organization, URRO, which oversees the authors and publishers, you know, publishing industry. Now, URRO has not really had any major problems per se. Some people attribute this to the fact that, okay, those in the book industry or authors are the type of people who are academicians, for instance, and just want to write their books and be left in peace. So they're not getting themselves so much stuck into conflicts of the nature. I, I'm not sure about the school of thought, but maybe that's the case, but they haven't had any issues. The major issues are mainly with UFMI and UPRS, but more so the fact that uh, you know, people in the, even the, like I said, the comedians, the comedians don't even know where they fall. You may, for instance, say that they are original copyright persons because they're original creators. Others say that they are more falling into the neighboring or related rights. They can fall either way. But they've also been saying that they're not happy with the current copyright legislation and want change. So. Nonsense to be going in for change. I mean, change, change is good um, yeah. if it's been properly taught out and all of this much. But then, um, one thing I want to pick out from all we've said so far today is the fact that you also practice um, what I consider to be the non-common or popular type of IP. I mean, your, your thesis was on traditional cultural expression and you know, I think we have a couple of those cases being thrown at, thrown in, into the public domain within the last five years in Africa. Um, so I just want to get like, a comment from you on trade secrets, personal cultural expressions, GI and plant variety. Because I think sometime in 2021, yeah, 2021, we also, the, the, our former president signed the Plant Variety Act in Nigeria. Um, not much has been done since it's been signed, but you know, the conversation is there even for GI as well. We're currently working on a GI law. Um, but then let's hear from you who has been in practice for over 25 years, what has been your experience, <laughs> what has been people's perception. Is it really not a popular type of IP and why is there no conversation about it? Because this kind of IPs, this type of IPs actually have um, funds, um, grants, research, money being pumped into it in other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. True. So yes, maybe I could start with the traditional culture expressions. Um, I was intrigued about this area back in, I think it was 2009, as well, we had a run up to the presidential elections at the time, and the Ugandan president decided to tap into the youth population because Uganda is quite a young population, quite a huge majority of the, the voters are in the age bracket of 30s and 40s, or mainly about that age. So he came up with a rap song. He, he got together some musicians who went to studio and 
used his voice where he was reciting two poems from his um, ethnic community, the Ankole, the Ankole community. And they added beats to this and then a rap song came out of that. In fact, if you're to go to YouTube and you just type in, you want another rap, you'll see the Uganda present rap. So, so when he rapped this song, it was quite a huge hit. Of course, it garnered, it helped to gather the support he needed and he won the elections. So I got some people contacting me. I remember I was in the law firm I was working with at the time, and they were telling me that we want to stop the Ugandan president from copywriting this song or this particular song because it's, he's drawn it out of our cultural expressions uh, as Akole people. And when I dug into the copyright law, it's, it's have anything to do with trying to stop someone who picks a CDE and wants to copyright it or to develop copyright out of it. In any case, the Ugandan corporate legislation talks about traditional culture expressions as a form through which you can derive corporate out of, it doesn't go beyond that. So this fascinated me a lot, and that became my doctoral thesis, the cultural divide between traditional culture expressions and copyright. And, I've, and like I said, I've been teaching the same course at the University of Illinois since 2015. Around there, I teach it as a short course, as well as in the other universities across the, the world that I've taught it. So since then, in my continuing to read into this, the World Intellectual Property Organization um, recruited me as a consultant to help develop legislations on um, traditional knowledge and traditional culture expressions, starting with here in Uganda, uh, worked on the same project in Malawi, and these are ongoing projects. So hopefully in the next few years, at least less than five years, if we continue on the following the strategic plan that I designed, we, we should be having legislations in place, both in Uganda as well as in Malawi on traditional knowledge and traditional culture expressions. We already have one in Zambia. I believe it's one of the best. We have one in Kenya. These are both 2016 legislations. And South Africa also has one which they're trying to improve upon because it had so many gaps. And I, I can't think of any other country in Africa that has come out with clear-cut, specific legislations on traditional knowledge and cultural expressions. Most countries, including Nigeria and Ghana, just have particular provisions within their IP legislations in this regard. Then, of course, I had also mentioned um, going forward the Trade Secret Protection Act of Uganda. This was a this is a 2009 legislation. We've had, I believe, about three, two or three cases on trade secrets under this act, and I'm also currently involved in a, a litigation involving trade secrets. And we're excited about this because the more litigation it means building up on jurisprudence, which everyone can learn from those in academia, as well as judges themselves to, to build up on them. So we just have to be careful and ensure that the proper judgments come out because sadly we've had moments where even the judgments themselves are so far off the mark on appreciating intellectual property principles. And if these matters are not appealed against, then that becomes the law and it becomes bad law. So that's where the trade secret situation is concerned. With geographical indications, the legislation came out in 2014. And it's only about a few months, I should say probably about a year now, that we've had the first GI protected in Uganda. And that was, lo and behold, Ugandan coffee, because we're good producers, producers of coffee. 
So we now have really? the first GI in coffee, which is a Ugandan coffee. We're also working on another GI. I'm, I'm involved in a project of trying to get a graphic indication protection for our back cloth, because that's something that we're also proud of, the back cloth coming from the central region, that is the people of Buganda. Uh, I know of another project of uh, mm -hmm. trying to get GI protection for the Ankole long-horned cattle. Mm -hmm. So we have this cattle from Western Uganda that have unique attributes from that region, which falls in love with the characteristics of what a geographical indication should be. So those are the ongoing projects. We have quite a number of other uh, pr products that are unique and specific to particular regions, but we want to take it one step at a time because even the players involved, uh, either lady B farmers or other people that uh, appreciate these products, do not see them as GIs. For instance, the project that I'm involved in of trying to get GI protection for the back cloth from Buganda, it, it's quite a, um, a very challenging task that I'm involved in of trying to help the Buganda people realize the geographical indication attributes related to this back cloth though they know that it's unique, but now placing it in the context of the characteristics of the law is quite a difficult thing that is a slow process. So the Plant Variety Protection Act is quite an interesting story. It came out in 2014, but then immediately there was a, a constitutional court petition filed against it. Uh, I was involved as a consultant for the petitioners. So they were raising quite a number of issues with the Plant Variety Protection Act, mainly stating that there was not sufficient um, participatory democracy. There was not enough consultation of farmers as to the benefits of this law or how it would be impactful towards farmers. I mean, of course, we know that with plant varieties, as long as you bring out the distinctiveness, uniformity, and stability in the produce, the DUS principle, then you can get a plant variety. But how does this affect farmers who have been producing similar crops? If you're giving a unique intellectual property in plants to a commercial breeder, he would be closing out farmers who have been using something similar or producing something similar. So the matter went to court and um, it's just about a year or so ago that Finally, the Constitutional Court ruled against the petitioners. I haven't studied the case at length, but uh, the brief summary of it all that they did not satisfy the, their grounds for petitioning against this act. So we know that, of course, the act, by virtue of that constitutional petition, is still law. I mean, they're, they're, they're out, but we still have it as law become effective because we do not have any regulations in place to, to kickstart it as, a, as a, an operational law. So it's, it's just there, but it has been utilized since 2014 when it was passed. So those are the non-traditional intellectual property uh, protections we have in place, the Indications Act, the Plant Variety Protection Act. Trade Secrets Protection Act, uh, at least like I said, with the Trade Secrets Act, it's there. We've had quite a few legislation uh, litigations and they're ongoing. But for GIs, plant varieties, and traditional culture expressions, 
we, we haven't felt any impact yet because either of the lack of the laws in place or you know, seeing them to be operational, apart from the GI Act anyway. Hey, John, that answers your question. Yeah, it does. I mean, it was very, very, very detailed. And I'm also, you know, impressed as an African, the length which Uganda has gone, you know, in terms of this non-commercial, non-traditional and popular IPs. Um, amongst all the IPs that you've interacted with or practiced, which of them is your best? And what are those IP trends that you are in currently in Uganda or within the international space? I'm sorry, I did hear the second part of your question. Oh, so the second part of my question is, what are those trends you are noticing in Uganda that are also, you are also noticing in the international IP space as well? Okay, okay. Okay, so what is my tough question? I, I keep pondering on it. Um, I'll just mainly say trademark is not a favorite of mine. For Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would surprise many. I, I don't like associating with the crowd. And I'm not being um, egoistic with this by saying that. I, I'm just, I, I like to stand out in a way that I can enjoy myself, not necessarily to stand out to be noticed. In any case, I shy away from being noticed many times. So I mainly want to stand out for the sake of enjoying myself in a free space. Um, and to, to place that in the context of what I want to explain, so trademark practice is the most common practice, I think, globally. Not just Uganda. Every place you go to where there's an IP practitioner, their number one area is trademark. So I haven't been so much about but being an IP practitioner, of course, I also do trademarks. I've done quite a number. I've been involved in litigations and trademark oppositions. So I, I do practice it, but it's not my number one. So the next would be copyright. I enjoy copyright so, so, so much. I, one of my closest friends is a musician, Silva Chagulani, and we, I enjoy our discussions over copyright with him. Um, a person that I grew up in the IP practice with, a, a colleague of mine called Paula Simway, moved me more in the trademark direction. But as we worked together and identified our love spots, he went more in the trademark direction and I moved towards the corporate direction. And that's when we were working together in the same law firm. I used to handle the corporate work while he handled the trademark work. And when it even gets to academia, I enjoy teaching more on corporate matters and sharing my experiences with my students than I do with trademark matters. And it's interesting that right now, the top topic in Ugandan IP reform is about copyright. So I'm involved in the thick of it in trying to see how we can make it a better legislation for Uganda. The next would be patents. I enjoy patents very much. Also because that's another area we have very few practitioners in the country. Many people tend to move away from it, calling it very complicated. But although I do accept the complicated area of practice, I take that on as a challenge and always try to improve myself in the understanding of corporate patents. I've done the 
patent drafting courses with WIPO. And I'm happy to have registered a few, a few patents for a particular client, and they continue to do so. So in, in uh, whenever I'm involved in the drafting process, understanding claims, working out the abstracts and things, I, I feel the adrenaline rush because I, I really enjoy it and trying to understand a new invention and how it works. Then, of course, culture expressions isn't far away in the list because that's what drew me, to, drew me into doing my, my doctorate in the U.S., understanding how culture expressions are either similar or different from corporate. So always looking at different TCEs and traditional knowledge and how they impart directly to those who eventually get copyright or, or patents, pharmaceutical patents. It's something that has always intrigued me. And then seeing how communities can be um, appeased or compensated for their knowledge, which has then been developed into patents or their folklore, which has been developed into copyright. Something that I find fascinating and I always enjoy teaching in that area. So, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, oh, so, so, the second question was about the trends in Uganda and how these are, is it similar to those are, are across the globe? Yes. Yes. So, so the, the Ugandan trends, the downside is that we, our IP is developing at a much slower pace than in many other parts of the world. Hmm. But if I were to place it in the context of at least within Africa or other Eastern Africa, badly at all. We are moving at a fast pace in as far as Eastern Africa is concerned, or maybe even Africa, if you look at our trade secrets legislation and all those others. But if we place ourselves within the context of the globe, then even though we're coming up with legislations at a good pace, understanding or appreciating those legislations is something that we are doing very slowly. So the stakeholders involved in the kitchen in creating the legal frameworks are doing a good job. But then those at the tail end, the users or the actual innovators are very slow, as well as the musicians are very slow in appreciating the law that it doesn't help the process. Over the past few days, I've struggled with a particular musician and explaining to him the importance of having a phrase such as um, maybe fair and equitable remuneration. Having such a phrase within our corporate legislation would be better than saying that um, musicians or creators of works should be paid 51% of the royalty. So because I've struggled in explaining this to him, his work shows that the creators are very slow. Whereas those across the world, mainly in the Western, Western sphere, US and even Western Europe, are much faster in appreciating such things. They understand the law very well, and they also understand the user end of things. And that's what we need to work on in Uganda, in terms of our trends. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. So I just have two more questions and then we'll round up. So my second to last question is, what would you say is the best mode for resolving IP-related disputes in Uganda as a practitioner in Uganda? 
I think it goes back to awareness. Like everyone knows that awareness is the biggest problem. How have other countries handled awareness and then boosted their creativity and innovation? Japan, for instance, has unique ways in which it teaches intellectual property for the kindergarten level at the elementary level and then also at university. Same with the US. In the US, you find a non-lawyer appreciating intellectual property and knowing that this is my patent or this is my copyright or things of that nature. In Uganda, uh, a journalist will always say um, someone needs to patent his book or things like always confuse the town and speak so authoritatively when they're really off track. And it's not just journalists, even educated people who are non-lawyers. So let's go back to the grassroots level. Can we incorporate intellectual property in courses taught at the primary level or at elementary school, but not in the high-handed heavy technical terms that we see at university level? Teach it in the simplest terms teach a child that when John draws something, we need to appreciate his not copy it. It should not copy John's drawing because John has a right to his drawing. It's only later on as the child matures that you realize that the drawing is called copyright. So we can do that because that's what Japan is doing. That's what uh, South Korea is doing, many other countries. And then we shouldn't just be teaching property to students who are studying law. There should be different ways in which it can be taught for different students. Apart from starting it at elementary level, it should be taught in secondary school as well as universities and tertiary institutions or vocational institutions. But each kind of audience should be given a different kind of market as long as it all leads to the appreciation of intellectual property. So that as they come out and join the field of innovators and creators, they would be able to respect each other's innovations, and that would kick out the copycat um, persons, but also bring in a better appreciation of these things, and even in cases of infringement, would have judicial bodies that understand where the infringement falls, because now even our judges do not have a thorough appreciation of IP the way they should, which leads to wrong judgments and therefore poor jurisprudence. So it really goes with awareness. We need to boost the kind of awareness of, across Africa for IP. It will give us better legislations and better case law and better users. Fantastic. I, I like the way you answered the question because if it was me as um, IP practitioner and also as an ADR practitioner, I would have said it was called administrative and ADR and support matches. But I like how you started by saying awareness is what will get it going. Final questions. What are your final words uh, regarding these conversations and how can we reach you um, if we want to get back to you? I mean, I know how to reach you, but someone else who's listening to the podcast today. How can they reach you? Probably the best way to reach me is through my Gmail. Someone who is um, listening from outside the country or the like. Uh, Gmail is tkakoza at gmail.com. T for Tony, then K-A-K-O-O-Z-A. I'll repeat that. T-K-A-K-O-O-Z-A. 
oozaa gmail.com so that's my gmail and generally my my final thoughts is just to upload what you're doing through this podcast because if we're talking about something then we realize that there's a problem and we're already acting upon it because the first solution to a problem is to identify that there's a problem and the more we have podcasts that talk about the biting issues and the problems around ip and how we can try to resolve them then we're heading in the right direction that this kind of discourse and the narratives that are generated out of this discourse will at least reach out to the right people who can take a stand or can take a direction that will be for the benefit of not just the creators but the users as well so that's a wonderful thing thank you so much mr anthony um, it's been a pleasure um, talking to you this evening um, sure and we have had a pleasure as well yeah so so we've come to the end of episode 104 with Mr. Anthony Katuza, all the way from Uganda, sharing his views, experience um, with us on how the IP system in Uganda has been thriving. So if you want to set up your business in Uganda, these are the basics that you need to know. Um, secondly, again, we basically highlighted the issues regarding the musicians or the creatives who are trying to assert their right to earn more dollars than Penny, like Mr. Anthony pointed out. But basically, just like a crash, let's say frequently asked question on how the IP system is driving Uganda. But yeah, thank you to all my IP friends for listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, send your comments, feedback regarding this episode of the last 103 episode, and stay tuned for the next episode on design rights protection in nigeria do have a fantastic day guys bye